So this evening I'm going to try to do just three things. In the first place, I'm going to give a brief account of some of the main facts of Pablo Sambara's career, or what, in the present state of our knowledge, appear to be the facts. And then uh, I'm going to go back to what is, historically speaking, the central episode in his career, that is to say, his visit to Tibet, and I'm going to deal with that in some detail. And I'm going to deal with this particular episode of the visit to Tibet in some detail for two reasons. First of all, it's very well attested historically, and also it contains uh, certain legendary elements which are of special interest and special significance for us today. Now, they're not only of general interest, but they even have some meaning for, some bearing on our own movement here and now. And thirdly and lastly, I'm going to give a short account of Padmasambhava's teachings and of the Tibetan spiritual tradition, of which he is regarded as having been the founder. So, first of all, some at least of the main facts of Padmasambhava's Korea. But before we start giving historical facts, I'm going to give just one legend. And it's a legend, perhaps the legend, of Padmasambhava's birth. Now I'm going to recount this legend because it illustrates the sort of symbolism, the sort of mythological material, if you like, that in the course of centuries clustered about the events of his life. The legend of the birth also is of special interest to students of comparative mythology, comparative religion. And this particular legend with which the biographies commence begins not on this earth at all, begins as it were in a higher world, in a sense in the highest of all worlds, a purely spiritual world, a purely transcendental world, the world of the Buddha Amitabha who is the principal, the chief Buddha of the Nyingmapa tradition which was established by Padmasambhava. Amitabha means infinite light. So Amitabha is the Buddha of infinite light. And according to the account on this occasion, he was seated in meditation, in profound meditation. In fact, Amitabha is usually represented in the posture of meditation with his eyes half closed and his two hands together in his lap. And the legend goes on to tell how as the Buddha Amitabha, the Buddha of infinite and eternal light uh, sat there in meditation there came forth from his tongue a ray of pure red light and this ray of pure red light fell down to the earth, uh, fell into the centre of a certain lake in northwest India. And at the spot where the ray fell, where it penetrated into the water of the lake, there arose a small island. And this island was completely covered with golden grass 
and in the midst of the golden grass we are told there flowed three springs of water, pure water, uh, of the colour of turquoise. And from the centre of the island there sprang forth an enormous lotus blossom. And as the lotus blossom sprang forth, we are told, the Buddha Amitabha, the Buddha of infinite light, emitted from his heart a golden dorje, a golden dorje with five points. And this dorje fell from the heart of Amitabha into the centre of that lotus blossom. And later, the legend continues, when people came, they found a small boy seated in the lotus. A boy of about eight years of age who looked, the legend tells us, just like an infant Buddha. In his right hand, there was a tiny lotus blossom. In his left hand, a tiny vase of the kind that is used for tantric initiations. And in the crook of his left arm, a tiny trident. And this was Padmasambhava, the lotus-born. The name Padmasambhava means the lotus-born, the one born from the lotus. So this is the legend. It has, of course, its own significance, its own spiritual value, but I'm not going into that now. Now we're going to go into the facts, or rather into facts of another order. As we've already seen, Padmasambhava was born in the 8th century, at the beginning of the 8th century, and he was born in northwestern India in the kingdom of Uddiyana. And Uddiyana was, we know at that time, a very great and a very famous centre of tantric practice in general, tantric ritual, tantric meditation, especially esoteric meditation. And Padmasambhava, as a boy, it seems, was adopted by the king of Uddiyana, whose name was Indrabhuti. Indrabhuti himself was a great Buddhist scholar and yogi, some of whose writings on the Tantra survive in Tibetan translation even today. So Padmasambhava was given as a young man the education, the upbringing, suitable for a young prince of those days, and in due course he was married to the daughter of a neighbouring king. But despite this, we are told, just like the Buddha so many centuries earlier, just like so many other great masters, teachers, yogis, he was not satisfied with the household life, was not satisfied with high social position, with wealth, with domestic felicity, and so on, he left home and he became a monk. And in the course of a number of years, he studied all the different forms of Buddhism, then known in northern India. He practiced meditation, especially tantric meditation, and he traveled very widely indeed. It seems that he visited practically all the Buddhist kingdoms of northwestern India and even of Central Asia. And it's highly probable, according to some scholars, that there, in Central Asia, he came into contact with Nestorian Christians and with Manichaeans. 
Uh, Central Asia, we know at that time, was a veritable melting pot of religions and cultures of every kind. He also visited eastern India, that is to say Bengal and Assam, and it is highly likely that he also visited Java and Sumatra, which in those days uh, were very great centers of Buddhism, of Mahayana Buddhism and Sarasivada Buddhism in date. And above all, Padmasambhava spent a great deal of time meditating in cremation grounds. Uh, This may strike you as rather odd, but in India, even today, uh, yogis are very often fond of meditating in cremation grounds, especially tantric yogis. And Padmasambhava also for many years followed this practice. Uh, I myself have visited in India uh, quite a number of cremation grounds and one always finds a very strange sort of atmosphere there Uh, because after all so many dead bodies are burned there are reduced to ashes and the burning ground is regarded as a sort of door if you like a sort of opening from this world into the next And I know from my own experience that if you visit the the burning ground, especially if you visit it at night, you find a very, very strange, a very peculiar sort of vibration there. You can almost see, what to speak, a feeling. You can almost see the the air, the atmosphere quivering with these vibrations. That's the only way one can describe it. And there's a very peculiar, a very intense sort of atmosphere. And yogis in general believe that the atmosphere of the cremation ground is especially favorable to meditation, particularly tantric meditation. I remember I mentioned Darjeeling a little while ago. It just now occurs to me that when I was staying in Kalimpong, uh, I heard from my friends that there was a yogi, a Bengali tantric yogi, at that time living in uh, a burning ground just outside Darjeeling. And some of my friends actually uh, went and visited him. And he lived all the time in the cremation ground uh, for a period of, of some weeks and he meditated on a very strange sort of asana it's a sort of asana the sort of seat that uh, Hindu tantric yogis uh, think very highly of the seat was nothing other than the mummified body of an eight-year-old girl huh? uh, the girl apparently had died the body had been mummified and this was used as a seat by the tantric yogi. Huh? Uh, this is a fairly common practice among the Hindu tantric yogis. Now whether Padmasambhava himself did this or not, we don't know. But he certainly engaged in a number of very highly esoteric occult and meditation practices during this period when he frequented the burning grounds of northern India. So in the course of these years we are told He had a vast number of spiritual experiences of various kinds. Uh, He mastered the occult arts and sciences and eventually became enlightened, attained full spiritual uh, realization. And after many years, he paid a visit to the kingdom in which he was born, that is to say, they returned to Uddiyana. And we are told according to the biographies, that when he went back to Uriana, he at once got into trouble with the king. Eh? We're not sure whether it was the same king who had adopted him or his son and successor of the same name, that is to say Indrabuti, 
But whoever it was, whether it was the old king or his son, uh, Padmasambhava got into very serious trouble with him. Hmm? And the reason was this, that while he was in Bengal, he had become acquainted with a female yogi, that would say a yogini, or even dakini, called Mandarapa. And she became his very faithful and devoted disciple. Not only that, but she became his constant companion as well. And they used to meditate together in the cremation grounds. But you know what people are like. Uh, when people saw Padmasambhava, who apparently was still young and handsome, and the yogini Mandarava uh, meditating together, or staying together in the cremation grounds, they thought, quite wrongly, that they were just living together as man and wife. And this is apparently what King Indrabhuti thought, and as good people very often do become on such occasions, he became very, very indignant indeed. Hmm? That uh, Padmasambhava, who was supposed to be a monk and a yogi, uh, was traveling around with this woman, Mandarava, who seems to be his wife. So what did he do? He ordered that they should both be burned at the stake. But, according to the biography, they escaped. And, of course, many legends are gathered around this remarkable episode. So, having had enough of Udiyana, apparently, Padmasambhava then went to Budgaya, where the Buddha, of course, uh, so many centuries earlier, had gained enlightenment. And there he engaged in a great debate with various Brahminical teachers, and he succeeded in defeating them all in argument, after which he went to Nepal. And he spent quite a long time there, meditating solitarily in a cave. And it was while he was staying in Nepal, while he was living in this cave and meditating, that he received the invitation to visit Tibet. So to Tibet he went, and he helped the great teacher Shantarakshita who was the head of the Nalanda Buddhist Monastery to establish Buddhism in Tibet. And having done that, we are told Padmasambhava left for the country of the Rakshasas. Now, where the country of the Rakshasas was or is, no one exactly knows, but that's where Padmasambhava went. And all the accounts agree that he went there flying through the air. And one account adds, on a winged horse. Hmm? And he disappears in that way uh, from history. Hmm? So these, as far as we know at present, are the main facts of Padmasambhava's career. And you'll probably agree with me that these facts of this career are quite extraordinary enough, even without any legends that might have been incorporated with them. <laughs>